Welcome to Update One, the podcast of the National Press Club in Washington, D.C. Update One provides a forum for listeners to learn about national stories focusing on news, politics, and current events. Now, the latest edition of Update One. My name's Lincoln Smith, and we are with Mr. Jeff Radke. And Jeff is with the American Institute for German Studies. And we are here to talk about the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, better known as NATO. Good morning, Jeff. Good morning, Link. Great to be with you. It's wonderful to be here. And Jeff, if you could uh, start off a little bit about telling us who you are and your career. I am currently the president of the American Institute for Contemporary German Studies, which is part of Johns Hopkins University, located here in Washington, D.C., though. But before taking that job, I was a foreign service officer with the State Department for about 24 years. And a lot of my work dealt with European security, including NATO. I, I worked at NATO on the international staff. I worked in the, in the office of Secretary General Rasmussen a few years ago. And uh, I also worked on NATO issues at the State Department in Washington. So that's been a thread uh, through, my, through my career. After I left the State Department in 2015, I joined the Center for Strategic and International Studies, one of the big think tanks here in Washington, and worked on Europe uh, there for a few years before moving to my present job. Can you tell us a little bit more about the American Institute for German Studies, the mission? So we were created about 35 years ago by the president of Johns Hopkins University. Uh, at the time, that was uh, Dr. Stephen Muller. And if you cast your mind back to 1983, that was a period of Cold War confrontation, um, even the war scare, as, uh, as uh, some people have, uh, have described it, a time of real friction in transatlantic relations. And Stephen Muller, who had emigrated from Germany as a boy, um, saw a need for better understanding in the United States, not just of West Germany, but also of East Germany. Um, there was not a lot of uh, academic and scholarly work being done on East, uh, East Germany. And so the Institute was created as a place to study both Germanys, if you will. And just a few years later, of course, we had the fall of the Berlin Wall and the reunification of Germany, uh, which demonstrated the importance of having a deep understanding of, uh, of cultures and societies uh, like East Germany because it became central to American foreign policy. How does the United States deal with the aspiration for unification in Germany? How does the integration of those two countries into the Federal Republic of Germany happen? And what interests uh, on the American side are affected by that? And how does the United States position itself? So we've tried to remain since then a center of scholarship on things happening in Germany, in the bilateral relationship between the United States and Germany across politics, economics, trade, security, society, culture. We try to cover as much of that as we can. Can you talk a little bit about what NATO is, its mission, and its relevance today in 2018? NATO is a lot of things, and I think that's one of the reasons we have, uh, at times, confusion in our public discussion of NATO. Because NATO is, on the one hand, a military alliance that has formal structures, it has a command structure, and it has specific military tasks that it carries out. 
And and that's one thing. And that's extremely important, of course, because the security of the United States and Europe is you know, deeply entwined with, with NATO. But NATO is more than that, too. NATO is a political organization where the leaders of Europe and the United States come together to talk about the most important international security issues. So it's not just a place where you have your, uh, you know, your generals and admirals and everyone beneath them working to make sure we're defended against a military threat. It's a place where we decide how we're going to deal with the, the troubles uh, in Europe. How does the West deal with the situation in Ukraine, for example? How do we deal with countries that want to join NATO but may not meet the standards for membership right now? How do we help them along? And how do we deal with Russia? Um, not just militarily, but how do we deal politically with Russia? NATO is central to all of these things, and and that's why it is so important and has been for 70 years of uh, of American foreign policy. To your point about security issues, uh, Jeff, can you talk to us about Article 5? What is it? And it was invoked uh, after 9-11. Can you talk about that a little bit also? The North Atlantic Treaty is the, the document that created NATO. Actually, I would encourage people to read it. It is not as long as you might think. It's 1,200 words, pretty short, actually, for an international document, written in pretty plain language as well. And there are a few things in the North Atlantic Treaty that are especially important, and I would, I would highlight two of them right now. One of them is Article 3, and that article says that countries are responsible for developing their own individual capacity for self-defense and to working with their allies um, on self-defense. In other words, countries have a fundamental responsibility and obligation to be able to contribute to their own defense. So that's the first thing. That's the, if you want to call it, that's the no free riding clause. And that comes before Article 5. Article 5 says an armed attack on one NATO ally is an armed attack on all of them. That's the solidarity clause. And uh, so what that means is if a country is attacked, as the United States was on September 11, 2001, then other allies consider that an attack on them too, and they will stand by whichever member of NATO has been attacked. The, the one beneficiary of that uh, Article 5 guarantee, as you pointed out, has been the United States. And I think that's, that's something that often- In the entire often, history of NATO. In the entire history of NATO, exactly right. And, and so that, is, uh, that sometimes gets lost a bit when, when we talk about NATO, especially in the United States, because a lot of the discussion here is about who's paying enough, who's not paying enough, who does what we want, who does uh, less than we would want. And uh, we need to keep in mind that you know, NATO exists not just to keep Europeans safe and secure, but to keep the United States safe and secure. Jeff, can you talk to us a little bit about uh, the NATO summit this summer, 2018? What was discussed? Uh, what occurred? I think the NATO summit that happened uh, this summer is a great example of the, 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 many, uh, way, the many parts of NATO. Uh, now, there was a very long summit declaration, uh, a whole lot longer than the North Atlantic Treaty, that's for sure. But if you read through there, you see that NATO countries agreed to do a whole lot of things. Um, one of them was uh, the burden sharing. Um, they are committed to sharing the, the costs, the risks, and the resource commitments of uh, keeping the transatlantic community secure. There was a, an initiative on readiness. Um, this was spearheaded by uh, Secretary of Defense Mattis, that, uh, that NATO nations would have 
30 surface vessels, 30 air squadrons, and 30 battalions uh, ready within 30 days um, uh, to respond to a security crisis uh, of one sort or another. There was an initiative on mobility, that, that NATO will improve the ability of countries to move their forces across Europe so they can get to a place where there might be a military uh, conflict and hopefully to avert a military conflict by being able to get there um, uh, quickly. And there was an initiative on cyber defense, for example. NATO agreed to establish a, a cyber operations center that will help countries better coordinate their, their own cyber defense efforts um, and also their, you know, their cyber um, you know, activity in, in any kind of crisis. Those are just some of the things that you'll see in there. There's also bits about nuclear weapons and about arms control and about a whole lot of stuff. If you look at that... I have to say, from my own experience working with NATO, it was a very impressive list of achievements. So you could, if you just read that declaration and stay within the, the four corners of that page, you think, NATO's doing great. Man, look at this. They're serious, they're committing resources, and they, they have a shared vision of what it is they're trying to address. But what is in a way more important than that is the international politics of NATO. And so if you go to uh, the scene that took place when uh, President Trump had breakfast with the uh, NATO Secretary General on the, on the morning of the summit, and with the cameras rolling, the president spent a lot of time um, uh, singling out one particular ally, Germany, saying that they don't spend enough, um, implying that they're not committed to transatlantic security, and even um, suggesting that because uh, Germany is engaged in a pipeline project to buy gas uh, from Russia, that, uh, that Germany uh, basically was a captive um, of Russia. Um, and, and so essentially what he was saying is that one of our most important NATO allies lacks full sovereignty uh, because they're too dependent on Russia. If you look at that um, and the effect that has on public perceptions in the United States, in Germany, and across Europe, it sends a message of division, um, of NATO allies not being on the same page, and of these recriminations that weaken us fundamentally because they, they show our adversaries that perhaps we can be divided. And if we can be divided, then maybe that means we won't act. And if we won't act, then maybe that invites um, some kind of aggression um, or uh, action against us. So I think you know, those two things are in a really uneasy balance, um, the achievements uh, on paper and the undermining of the sense of our shared security destiny um, that, uh, that we saw come out of that summit. So in essence, Jeff, the perspective on NATO, the German perspective on NATO, and the U.S. perspective on NATO have similarities and differences. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's right. Uh, if you look at Germany and the way it sees its international security interests, you know, ever since Germany joined NATO in 1955, NATO has been the central element of Germany's security. Um, it is, you know, there is no German security policy if you take NATO out of the equation. Um, and in that sense, Germany is, is kind of the quintessential European ally because it has, in a sense, um, forsaken um, 
its national interests in order to pursue a collective European interest. Um, you see this in Germany's uh, push for European integration as well, but that's a, that's a slightly different topic. So, uh, you know, Germany that defines its security only in transatlantic terms, um, this new situation and the policies coming from the Trump administration are, uh, you know, a real a real shock, and uh, it's a difficult adjustment to make. How does Germany deal with a United States that? calls into question NATO, um, and how should Germany recalibrate its relationships in Europe and across the Atlantic in those circumstances. That's a really difficult um, uh, challenge uh, that, that Germany is still grappling with, I think. Could it be said, Jeff, that the North Atlantic Treaty Organization is more pertinent than ever today in 2018? NATO has always been pertinent. So it's a little hard to say when it was most pertinent and when it was least pertinent. So uh, what I would say is that the way in which NATO is pertinent is constantly changing. If you look at the period from 1949 until, let's say, the early, um, early 1980s, NATO was pretty clearly a security and defense alliance um, that was that existed to deal with the the military and security threat from the Soviet Union, and and the and to to forestall the possibility of a military conflict on the European continent that would have had devastating consequences. And uh, what has what has changed since that time is that NATO has become more politically engaged. It is a way not only to to deal with a military threat, it's also a way to interact and to build relationships with other countries. Um, again, Ukraine, if we think about the Western Balkans, um, NATO has relationships with countries there. NATO has relationships with countries in the Middle East, in North Africa. And and so this- Lest we forget. Yeah, and, that, and so that web of political relationships is extremely important for the United States because it helps us act together with Europeans to try to prevent crises before they happen, rather than just reacting to them when they do. Jeff, with the aforementioned history, could it be said with fair confidence that the past 50 years in Europe have been more peaceful because of the North Atlantic Treaty Organization? Oh, absolutely. I, I think if you look at the objectives the United States had for Europe at the end of the Second World War, we, we, we needed two things. We needed Europe to be rebuilt, um, uh, not just for its own sake, although we certainly didn't want to keep feeding um, Europeans uh, indefinitely, um, but we needed Europeans to become a partner of the United States in acting internationally. And that had an economic dimension. And and it had a security dimension. We thought in the years after the Second World War that you could separate those two things. We could bring home American troops from Europe, and uh, at the same time, through the Marshall Plan, we could promote European um, economic uh, development and integration. 
turned out that wasn't possible because at the same time you had the Soviet Union consolidating its control over what later became the Warsaw Pact, installing um, you know communist-oriented governments and and neutralizing any political uh, opposition. So there was there was no way to ensure the the political independence and freedom of our Western European um, uh, partners without a security uh, presence and a security guarantee. And that's that's why NATO came about. Uh, you know within two years of uh, of the Marshall Plan and uh, and it was impossible to pursue those goals independently of each other. Jeff, can you talk to us a little bit about your impressions of the media coverage really worldwide of NATO? One of the things that is um, you know, that has happened since Donald Trump became president and even during the 2016 campaign is through his you know bashing of of NATO and of individual NATO allies it has focused public attention on NATO's role in in ways that we haven't seen for a long long time and and so you know you can you can either um, you know say that's a that's a bad thing because uh, many of the allegations he's made uh, about NATO um, are you know tenuous at best or you could say this is an opportunity to talk again about why NATO NATO matters um, to uh, to the United States. So, uh, you know, there are a few things I think that are important to to remember when uh, when we talk about NATO, and that some you know that especially when it gets covered in in the in the media. I think the first thing is that NATO is it, it is a an organization of sovereign states that agree to to do things together. It is not an arrangement where countries pay the United States to do something. It is not, as people have said, it is not a protection racket. So it is inaccurate to talk about countries paying us for protection. It's an alliance. It is an alliance. So the United States has its military forces. Some of those military forces are integrated into NATO responsibilities the same way that our allies do uh, do it as well. So Germany, the Netherlands, Denmark, the United Kingdom, France, Italy, Spain, etc., on and on and on. They don't pay the United States for defense. Instead, they have their own armed forces and we work together. So that's it's a fundamental thing, and and it's important to keep that in mind. Uh, the second thing is that our European allies are not our foes. the The president uh, often talks about the European Union as a competitor um, uh, economically uh, for the United States, um, and uh, you know I think there's it's hard to be further from the truth. I mean, the European Union exists in its current form, largely because of the United States. The Marshall Plan was not about, not just about um, providing assistance to restart European economies. It was to integrate European economies so that we would minimize the risks of future conflict um, and so that they would become uh, more prosperous faster. So if, if you look at the European Union the way it exists, in general, an integrated European economic space is something the United States pushed for. And European countries agreed, and so they've, they've taken it forward. But even though we may have disagreements on a variety of issues, political or economic or whatever, you know, it is fundamentally um, the case that the United States and Europe work together more than any two parts of the world um, that you can imagine. Whenever the United States does almost anything, we try to do it with Europeans because they have 
for the most part the same objectives in the world as as we do and so you know these are these are our closest friends uh, these are the people who are with us you know almost almost any time we do anything tough so uh, i think we need to keep that in mind and then the third thing is there is there is sometimes when people talk about NATO and um, people look at it as, as a risk, as if the United States has made a security commitment to countries and therefore they are a potential liability. Most opposite. Um, yeah. And and so, you know, the, the, this comes out sometimes in the president's campaign style rhetoric, you know, where he talks about the possibility of a NATO ally drawing us into World War Three. I find that um, you know almost inconceivable. Um, you know, the countries along, let's say, the border with Russia, um, they are deeply interested in the United States' um, commitment to their security, but they are not in the business of provoking Russia into a conflict. You know, if you look at the last, uh, you know, the last ten years, it's been Russia trying to provoke its neighbors into conflict, um, rather than the other way around. So um, that means we need to deal with Russia effectively. It doesn't mean we need to kind of write off the security concerns of our allies. Do you have any closing thoughts on the future of the alliance? Well, I, I think that what we've seen since President Trump took office is, on the one hand, a recommitment of NATO allies to providing the resources necessary um, for our common defense. And you see a lot of practical, um, uh, important steps being taken. But I've also you know, got to say there's, there's also a worry that if we badmouth our most important alliance relationship to the American people and to people in Europe, um, at a certain point, we, you know, we can erode the, the, f the foundation of this very productive security partnership. So we have the potential to do really great things in the future, um, but we only will get there if we keep in mind um, what we have at stake and that we uh, you know, don't damage um, the, the foundational pillars uh, of that relationship. Jeff Rathke, thank you very much for joining us. It's been great talking to you, Link. You have been listening to Update One, a production of the National Press Club's Broadcast Committee. You can comment on this show or any episode of Update One by going to facebook.com slash pressclubdc or on Twitter at Press Club DC. Thanks for listening to Update One.